If you have joined us in the last few minutes and you're watching from home in your pajamas this morning, please know that since you can see us, we can see you. And some of you look very cool in your pajamas, I have to tell you. Uh, So thank you for being with us. And if you have your Bible at home, please get that. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. As here in the sanctuary, we come to the final chapter of our current studies in the series on 1 Peter. We have given it the title, A Fresh Focus for a New Beginning, especially as we eased into the new year in those early chapters. Today we're coming to 1 Peter chapter 5 and reading verses 1 through 11. Most of you will be aware that Peter is writing to a group of four or five congregations in what was called, sometimes we still think of it as Asia Minor, the northern part of modern-day Turkey. And he's writing to encourage them to grow in their faith. And so in chapter 5 he begins, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourself with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And we do indeed trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Exactly this time last year, I returned from a conference in Egypt for the Presbyterian Church in Egypt. Most folks are unaware that there are over 420 congregations in modern-day Egypt. I was there as part of the conference, working with pastors and doing a little teaching. Now, when you arrive in Egypt, the Egyptian government go out of their way to provide you with a very warm welcome. And when I'm there, especially speaking at a conference, the tourist police, and they have an entire section of the Egyptian police force, the tourist police assign an officer to me. So that if I'm traveling between Cairo and Alexandria, they will place a police officer with me in the car and he will look after me. 
And then when I come back from Alexandria to Cairo, when I'm visiting churches, going to meetings with presbytery officials and so on, the police officer will travel in the passenger seat in the front of the vehicle. And I have to tell you, it's a little odd and it takes a little getting used to. Because when you pull up in the car, he will get out of the seat in front of you. He will put his hand over your door so you can't open it. He will look up and down the street. He'll look at the traffic. He'll look around and making sure everything is safe. Then he opens your door for you and takes you into the building. And it does honestly take a little getting used to, especially if he's sitting at the table next to you in a restaurant. And sometimes if you are in a busy road, not a major road, but a couple of lanes of traffic and you can't get across to visit a congregation, he will step out in front of the traffic, hold the traffic and allow you and the other folks with you in the car uh, to get across the road. Now, I was so impressed, I'm thinking of approaching the Greenville Sheriff Department to see what they can do. Uh, But enough of my, again, rather exaggerated imagination. But I have to tell you that after a week of this, the hotel I was staying in the last couple of nights, one of the staff noticed that a police officer would pick me up and greet me when the tour guide was there or the folks showing me around and would drop me back off. And so on my last night as I was leaving, I'm standing with my suitcase in one hand, my briefcase in the other, ready to depart, and the police officer pulls up outside and the member of staff came over and kind of lent closely to me, almost as if he wanted to whisper and said, are you a religious leader? And I said, I am. I was here speaking at a conference. And he said, I wonder if you could help me. And I didn't get a chance to respond when he said, the next time you see the Pope, will you ask him to lower the cost of education for children in the Cairo area? We simply can't afford it. And at that point, my officer came in, opened the door, and I was ready to walk out. And I thought, what on earth do I say? And so I said to him, absolutely. The next time I see the Pope, I'll be sure to mention it. And so I got into the car and off we went. Now, Ruth said to me that was entirely inappropriate. Here is this man hoping uh, that I would mention it. And I do promise you, the next time I meet with the pontiff, I will pass that message on. My point in all of this is this. We may need to make an appointment to meet a president or a pope or a king or a queen, but we can get into the presence of the living God in a heartbeat. We don't need anyone to introduce us to him. We don't need to make an appointment in advance. We don't need any clearance or references beforehand. And over these last few weeks, as we have been steadily working our way through First Peter, time and again, as we have opened up the Scriptures, God has spoken into the circumstances of our lives. And how many times on a Sunday morning or at a Bible study you've opened up the scriptures and something has been going on in the back of your mind, circumstances or challenges or issues you're wrestling with, and a passage of scripture has almost jumped off the page to capture your attention and speak into your life. And that's certainly been our experience over these recent Sundays together. And often when we open up the scriptures and we begin to ask, Father, what are you saying to me today? Speak to me 
guide me, lead me, direct me in this area of my life. We often find that when Scripture begins to speak to us, it takes us to a whole new level, a level in which we begin to ask deep, personal, fearless, searching questions. Because we know that engaging with God through His Word moves us to a whole new level of maturity in developing our faith and growing A couple of weeks ago, we asked the question, what did it mean to be growing in your faith in the midst of a busy, vibrant city? A city in which so many of us work in terms of our professions in law and education and medicine and retail and manufacturing, administration, finance, construction, architecture. And that theme of construction has also run through First Peter because one of the major themes in the epistle, and you see it clearly in chapter 2, is when Peter says to these congregations he's writing to, please remember that God is building you into a spiritual home. A home where people are welcomed. A home where folks are safe. A home where folks are growing in their faith. And that's the point he's been making. Building of that spiritual home. And this morning, those themes of construction and development and renewal and growth come into chapter 5. And please notice how he begins chapter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. Now let me pause right there. The dominant theme of the passage we read, or at least one of the dominant motifs that recurs again and again, is that of humility. And notice how Peter begins chapter 5. He says, I write as a fellow elder. Now isn't that something coming from Peter? Here is Peter, leader of the apostolic band. Peter, one of the early disciples. One of the three whom Jesus would call upon to have deep, intimate conversations. Peter, James, and John. An apostle. Author of two New Testament epistles. Arguably, Jesus' closest friend here on earth, and he writes, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder. What a wonderful way to model humility. I appeal as a fellow elder. Not a bishop, not leader of the church, not the best friend of Jesus, not let me tell you about the time of his transfiguration or the time when he was walking on water and called me to walk on the water with him. No. Self-effacing. Drawing no attention to himself as a fellow elder. And then goes on to write about humility. And notice what he says, verse 5. Young men, and it's verses 5, 6, and 7, we'll be mainly focusing on this morning. He says, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Then he adds, all of you, clothe yourself with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then again he says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Humility. 
and service. And notice the phrase, clothe yourself with humility. Be submissive. Sometimes I wonder, as I dwell on this passage and read it through and read it through and begin to come to terms with all that Peter is saying, I begin to say, why did he use that phrase? Clothe yourself with humility. Why not simply be humble? Put others first. Seek to serve. Clothe yourself with humility. I wonder in his mind, was he going back 25, 30 years Tonight, he would never forget. Tonight, that was burned into the memory of Peter. And it took place in an upper room the night before the Passover. When Jesus got up from the table, went over to a sideboard of some kind, we imagine, perhaps another table, took a towel, put it around his waist, tied it, a bowl of water and a jug, and knelt in front of each of the disciples and washed their feet. Is that what he was thinking? Clothe yourself with humility so that when others saw it, they saw it as an apron Servants wore aprons. Servants would put towels around themselves. Servants would think of others first. And understand the magnitude and the enormity and the gravitas of what was unfolding in that upper room. The Alpha and the Omega. Very God of very God takes a towel and washes his disciples' feet. He who was and is and will come again in transcendent majesty and power and glory kneels at the feet of his disciples. Is it any wonder, Peter writes, clothe yourself with humility, think of others before yourself, Because here was Jesus not only washing his disciples' feet, the act of a servant, he was indicating that in fact he would go on in the hours to come to give his very life for the salvation of humanity. Talk of acting as a servant? Is that what was going through his mind? To humble yourself in that manner? Peter recognizes that clothing yourself with humility is not some esoteric, nebulous action that no one understands, but it's very real, very real. It's not an automatic process. You don't wake up some fine Monday morning and think, I'm humble, I've got there, I've arrived. 
An older colleague, some of you will remember well, George Moore. And George was quite a character at a number of levels, was always fun to be around. And he used to say to me, Richard, I have a book in mind and I've been wanting to write it for such a long time. And I would say, George, do you have a title for your book? What is it about? And he said, well, I'm thinking of calling it Humility and How I Achieved It. I thought that's typical of George, isn't it? He's making a spiritual point out of something ridiculous and funny. Clothe yourself. It's intentional. It's deliberate. It's prayerfully acted out. And it means not dominating the conversation all the time. It means listening before speaking. It means praying and thinking before action. Humility, hard to achieve, but very healthy for us as we begin to put humility in place. Others first and self last. Deliberate, intentional, prayerful. That's the point Peter's making. And he models it for us. Peter, a fellow elder. And in verse 6 he says, Humble yourselves, Therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Then he writes what is arguably the best known verse in this entire epistle. And he says, cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Notice what he says. Cast all of your anxiety on him. What does cast mean? Put down. Throw away. In terms of the Gospels, where do we find the word and how is it used? Well, strangely enough, we read of it often about Peter when he casts his net into the Sea of Galilee. It's not that he eases it over the side. It's a large net. It needs to be thrown as wide as possible, as far from the person who's throwing it. That's the image that Peter is creating. And notice what he says, cast all your anxiety on him. Put it down. Let it go. You can leave him with it. You can absolutely trust him. Ever gone through days that have been so tough, so challenging, so bad? And an issue is coming up again and again and again, whether it be in personal relationships, whether it be a situation at work. Last thing you think of at night, first thing you think of in the morning. It's awfully hard to turn your mind off, isn't it? Lie awake, solving problems that don't exist. Dealing with issues that may or may not come your way. Now hold that thought and remember who is writing this. This is Peter. This is Peter who in Pilate's forecourt was charged by a servant girl 
fact, you know him, don't you? Not once, twice, three times. You know him. And he betrayed his best and closest friend at the point of his friend's greatest need. I don't know him. I don't know him and he becomes angry. In fact, the scriptures tell us that he begins to, begins to swear. Can you imagine what was going through Peter's mind on Good Friday? The following day, the Saturday, those early hours of Easter Sunday morning before he left the others and went to the tomb. Can you imagine the tears, the heartbreak, and the grief? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why didn't I respond in another way? If only I could have that night over again. After all that he has done for me in these last three years, after listening to the gospel, after watching it impact lives, after he helped me when I was sinking while trying to walk on water, after healing my mother-in-law one miracle after another, after all those quiet moments late at night, the side of the Sea of Galilee, round a fire, when just the twelve of us had an opportunity to talk. That great moment of the transfiguration. Him of all people, I've betrayed. What is going on here? And here he is, 25 or 30 years later, writing. Writing out of experience. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. All of it. All of it. Every worry, every concern, every if only, every why did I do that? Every bitter thought, every deep regret, cast all your anxiety on Him. I've mentioned this to you before in passing and it seemed appropriate again this morning, so please forgive me if this feels a little redundant, but I do trust it will be helpful. There are some things in our lives we have no control over. We had no control over the moment we were born or where or when. We had no control over our parents or who was in our family. We cannot control the weather. All sorts of things we can't control. But please hear this. We can control what our minds focus on. And the most helpful illustration I have come across in that sense has been imagine your mind is a little like a local airport and you have the control tower. And the control tower determines which aircraft land, which aircraft take off, which aircraft circle, 
and which aircraft have been told to go to another airport and land there. Ever thought of your mind in that sense? That you can control your thought patterns? Because when you begin to focus and you begin to engage your thought process, you can determine what you will focus on. And some thoughts you can say, I am simply not going to go there. Or, Father, I can't deal with this. It is beating me up. It is leaving me exhausted. And so I hand it over to you and I leave it there. Cast all your anxieties on him. Cast all your anxieties on him. You don't need to go back and pick them up. Those anxieties don't get to determine who you are or define your life. You can leave them there. Now, please hear me when I say this. Doing that is not easy. Disciplining your mind. Telling your mind, no, I'm not going to spend time focused there, thinking through, rehearsing my regrets, going back over what happened all those years ago. Please hear this. God is more interested in the person you are becoming than where you have been. Always. Always. He is more interested in who you are becoming, growing, developing, maturing in your faith, living out your faith in law and medicine and education and construction manufacturing, retail, finance, wherever you are. Are you growing and developing in your faith? Are you doing the hard work of discipleship? That's enough to be focused on. Don't let the past, don't let previous sin or regrets determine who you are or define how you will live. Cast all your anxiety on him and remember who it is who is saying this. You occupy that control tower. You get to determine. And by the grace of God, He will protect you in the midst of it. You either control your emotions or your emotions will control you. That's the point He's making. You don't need to wallow in what if, if only. You don't need to. Notice what he says, and please notice this, and then I'll try and wrap it up. In verse 6 he says, Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Now let me pause for a second. You often read of the hand of God at work, but nowhere else in the entirety of the New Testament do you read those words, Under God's mighty hand. And verse 6 and verse 7 are a single sentence in the original language. There isn't a verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him as a separate sentence. It's all one. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time, because it will take place when you cast all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Single sentence. Mighty to deal with your past. Mighty to deal with your present. Mighty to equip you and strengthen you and enable you to move into your future. That's the point he's making. Because he cares for you.
Someone sent me this last week. It's fairly lengthy. It's about a page and a half, so please forgive me. And I thought it was so well done. And I've kind of edited it a little. It was sent to me, and it came from a friend, and it was written by Jacob Waldron. I don't know anything about Jacob. It was one of those uh, chains of emails. But it was so impressive, I wanted to read it as we close this morning. And it's entitled, Church is Hard. Church is hard for the person walking through the doors, afraid of judgment. Church is hard for the prodigal returning home, broken and battered by life. Church is hard for the girl who looks like she has it all together, but deep inside knows she doesn't and is scared someone will find out. Church is hard for the couple who argued all the way to church. Church is hard for the single mom surrounded by couples holding hands and seeming to be perfect families. Church is hard for the widow and widower who are terribly lonely and who will never receive an invitation to lunch after the service. Church is hard for the deacon with the estranged adult child. Church is hard for the person singing hymns and songs who are overwhelmed by the weight and meaning of the lyrics. Church is hard for the person who is insecure as a leader. Church is hard for the lonely spouse who longs to be married to someone with a strong faith. Church is hard for the nursery volunteer who desperately longs for a baby to love. Church is hard for the single woman, single man, praying God might give them a mate. Church is hard for those of us who regret the past and cannot seem to move beyond it. Church is hard for the individual who feels distant from the love and grace of God and doesn't know what to do about it. Church at times is hard for everyone. It's hard because on the outside it looks shiny and perfect, yet underneath those layers you find imperfect, ordinary people wrestling with life, their poor choices, debilitating mistakes. But please remember, in church there's also beauty to be found. Church is about the deep transforming love and grace of God. A God who provides a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance. Church is not about perfect people, but people who have sinned. Sinned at times badly, yet have been saved by the transforming love of God. Church is a sacred space, holy ground where sinners gather and the ground is level at the cross. Church is a refuge for the broken hearted an equipping ground for those who are focused on what, who they are becoming rather than where they have been. Church is a converging of confrontation and invitation where sin is confronted and hearts are invited to seek his peace and transforming love. Church is a lesson in faith and trust. It's a place to bring your burdens where you can cast all your anxieties on him. Church is a family family gathering, setting aside our differences, forgetting our past mistakes, rejoicing in the smallest of victories. So even on the hard days at church, the days when we're at odds with our friends, the days when we've fought with our spouse, who's late once again, church 
bears the burdens of disappointment and regret. He bears the burdens that are heavy on my heart. He hides the pain with a smile. He takes away an unhealthy past. He reminds us that those who want him least need him most. And when I'm at church, he has never failed to meet me there. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that here in this sacred place we meet with you, the living God. A God for whom we can cast all our anxieties on. A God who understands and calls us to follow him, to be refreshed and renewed by him because he cares for us. Oh, Father, please may this be your experience this week as we seek to live out our faith day by day. Allow us to begin with this moment as together we cast our anxieties on you because you care for us. Father, hear our prayers we ask, for we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen.